Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of our HardwareX podcast. Our guest today is Professor Joshua Pierce, who is the co-editor-in-chief of HardwareX. Dr. Pierce is the Thompson Chair in Information Technology and Innovation, cross-appointed in the Richard Ivey School of Business and Western University's Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering. He is known for his work on open hardware, low-cost 3D printing, and solar photovoltaics. He has written the book on open source hardware called Open Source Lab, How to Build Your Own Hardware and Reduce Research Costs, published by Elsevier in 2014, and more recently, the book for general audience called Create, Share, and Save Money Using Open Source Projects, published by McGraw-Hill. Dr. Pierce, thank you for coming to our show. We have many interesting questions to ask you. To start with, within the field, there are several buzzwords like open source hardware and open source appropriate technology. Could you tell us what they mean? Sure, I'm really happy to be here. So let's see, uh, open source hardware is, is a can also be called open hardware, and it refers to hardware that's designed and shared in the same way as free and open source software. And so what that means is for to create a physical artifact, something that you can hold in your hand, um, it has to have all of the design files to manufacture it, make it, build it, and use it freely available for everyone to use, to change, to edit, to sell, to do anything basically that they want to edit. You're free as in like, you you know, freedom to do with as you will for the hardware, but it has a, a license associated with it, which demands that if you do make a modification or an improvement, that you reshare your improvement with the community with the same license. And so that's sort of the free and open source software has kind of taken over the internet. It's now the, the, the defined standard for software development because it's superior because you have lots of people working on it together and they come up with better ideas together. And now hardware is moving in that same space. And we were able to make that jump because there's now digital technologies like 3D printers, CNC mills, and laser cutters, which allow us to share design files and digitally recreate what somebody else has made. And so now and we, we do this through a whole range of, of different types of technologies. Um, electronics is probably the most mature, where we've been sh sharing, you know, PCB designs for for years now. Um, but we start; it's slowly starting to move into all of the sciences, and in fact, um, all all technologies. And then, open source appropriate technology is sort of the the new version of appropriate technology. So, appropriate technology is a technology that is appropriate for the place that you're speaking about. So, it fits in culturally, uh, economically. Uh, it's made out of local resources. It, it sort of is good for the community. There's many technologies that might be appropriate when one place and not appropriate in another. And appropriate technology is talking about technologies that are appropriate for a specific place. The open source part of that is the same as an open hardware, that if I want to, say, build a water pump for my garden that's solar powered, that is probably great for me, but it may or may not be great for someone else, depending upon their, their local resources. How did you get started in open hardware and 3D printing? So I've been a, a huge fan of open source software since I was in uh, since I was a student in, in college back when the internet was first starting. And to get you know email for my friends, we, I set up a, a Linux server so that we would all have email. Um, and I kind of you know let open source fall by the wayside as as I started my academic career. But then I was working on a, it was an open source laptop, but it was to solar power it. And my idea was we'd have these plastic, uh, this uh, solar cells that would be held onto the back of the laptop with a piece of plastic, and that would power the laptop, and it would be good for you know the developing world anywhere that you were where you didn't have access to electricity. And I was at a university that finally had 
a rapid prototyping system. And I was so excited because, you know, I'd always dreamed about this thing where you could like design in CAD and then it would, you'd get exactly what you wanted. And they made it and it was awesome. And it cost $60. And I remember being so upset because I was like, this is never going to work in the developing world. Like this is way more than the cost of the solar cells. It's almost as much as the laptop, which was only a hundred. Um, I have to find a better way. And so I was looking on the internet and that was right when the self-replicating rapid prototyper project came into to being, the RepRap project. And this was an open source 3D printer that could print its own parts. And I saw that and I was like, this is going to explode and take over everything. And so that's when my research started to focus more and more on that. And at this point, um, I probably do more open source hardware development things um, as part of largely part of 3D printing than I, I do in solar research, even though that was kind of like my, my mainstay in research before that. Is this whole field uh, more related to 3D printing and microcontrollers or is there more to open source hardware than microcontrollers and 3D printing? I would say of the open hardware kind of most used tools, 3D printing and microcontrollers are the two most powerful. Um, right. in, in a recent you know, uh, survey I did, a uh, review article for all the open hardware that had been published in Hardware X, I found that you know the savings were pretty good when you... You just used any kind of technology. They got better when you used a microcontroller. They got better yet when you used a 3D printer. And if you use both of them combined, that's when you, you're seeing things in the high 90% of savings. So they're, they're more mature, but that open hardware can cover everything. So there's groups like open source ecology that are building things like tractors and houses that don't have anything to do with microcontrollers or 3D printers. Right. Um, but that those are the areas that scientists are most commonly using the microcontrollers to set up automated experience experiments and the 3D printers to get custom, you know, physical fittings for whatever their experiment might be. So beyond uh, beyond microcontrollers and 3D printing, what are the other popular open source hardware projects that are out there on the internet that's that's creating a buzz? You just mentioned about 3D printed houses. Oh, you know, those are, the open yeah. source ecology houses aren't 3D printed. They're manually constructed, they, but they have things like a brick press. So it's okay. a massive machine that you use to compress earth to make uh, bricks to build a house or building or hospital or whatever you want to be making. So that that type of technology is very popular on kind of the large scale for the big, big uh, style stuff. Um, but then at the small scale, like people are, are doing um, open source biotechnology, uh, nanotechnology, like basically if you talk about a science, someone has already started to work in the open source part of it. Um, some areas are more mature than others, like CERN has been a major open source developer for decades now. And so a lot of the technologies with, with CERN are already open source. Um, and in fact, they have one of the largest repositories. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, say, biology or chemists or like everybody's into right. it. So uh, you you mentioned about RepRap that, that is heavily used in your research group. Uh, I see a lot of presence of that on the Internet uh, related to your research. Could you give examples of uh, the other exciting projects that you have done in your group? So we we're really interested in trying to make people self-sufficient. And so a lot of what we do is solar powered X said so um, okay. because sunlight is basically available everywhere where people live. And so, in, you know, you own the, the area where, where you're living. And so you can use the sunlight to do things. And so uh, we're interested in doing things like solar powered heat pumps. Uh, which finally became economic in North America, which means that if you live in North America, the least expensive way you can heat and cool your house is with a solar-powered heat pump. Um, similarly, the least expensive way that you can get 
electricity right now is to put solar cells on the roof of your home. And that's very big and very exciting. Uh, but yes. then on the open source side of things, uh, we're trying to develop open source technologies to make that more viable for you. And so we've developed several open source racking systems, which are now the most expensive component in a PV system. Um, some are 3D printed. Some are based off of piping systems. We also have a floating um, photovoltaic system where you glue foam to the back of a flexible solar module and then put it on, say, a lake or river or stream, any, any body of water. The water cools off the solar panel, which increases its efficiency, um, while at the same time you're not losing any right. land surface area. And then on the, the scientific side of things, we've done all different kinds of things that we needed for our own group. And so it, kind of when the light bulb went off for me is when we made a, a filter changer wheel, an automated filter changer wheel, because the one that we used in the lab was broken. And we made one that was better than anything you could buy commercially. It was completely customizable. And we did it with a parametric script. So if anybody doesn't like ours and wants to change it, they like put on different size filters or put on mirrors or whatever, different shapes. They could easily right. do that by changing a few lines of code. Um, and so that we now, at this point, basically manufacture all of our own equipment. And this goes from the simplest little optoelectronic components to very high-end things like a mapping four-point probe station which they, you know, if you don't work at Intel, you probably have never seen one because <laughs> they're right. absurdly yeah. expensive. It's it's one of the things you have to, to write into the company to get a quote for because they're not sold to, to little people. Uh, on a related question, so these are silicon-based solar cells or these are organic solar cells or these are... I, I've worked in uh, all the different types of solar cells. My PhD thesis was in amorphous silicon. Uh, but since then, we've done everything from indium gallium nitride on the kind of the wacky high-end multi-junction right. stuff to yeah. conventional crystal silicon. I, I recently did a, I did my sabbatical in Finland on black silicon, which I think is more or less going to take over in the solar industry, where you use some method to create a forest of nanoscale needles that make the surface of silicon look completely black, no light. Once it hits it, it does not come back out. Right. And we found that even if you use the very high-end reactive ion etching, a cryogenic, like, really expensive way to do this, yes. still reduce the cost by 10% from what, what they are now. And you increase the, the, the output of the, the panels. And so my, I would say, if I look into the crystal ball, I think it is very likely that all silicon-based solar cells will be black silicon within the next few years. Um, there's right. no reason not to do it. Um, okay. It's just, it makes good sense, both for the environment, energetically, and uh, economically. So very interesting. So all the research projects that you mentioned, they have an international appeal, whether it is improving water quality or climate control. How do you make sure your research within a U.S. laboratory reaches out to the remote places? So there's two things that we do. Uh, the first one, I think, isn't quite so radical anymore, is that we try to publish open access whenever we can. And that was really part of the reason that we started Hardware X is we wanted someplace when people develop a new scientific tool, um, even if it's not like if you're not the first one to ever make a 3D microscope, the way that you make the 3D microscope might actually be quite useful. And so we developed one where we turned a 3D printer into a 3D microscope, which has a huge volume um, where you can do, do photo stitching and um, photo stacking and all completely open source software. And so this is something that, you know, if, if you're running a lab in a, you know, lower resource country, and you simply don't have the money, well, now a couple thousand dollars, and you've got yourself something that would cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars normally. And so HardwareX allows us to, allows anyone to publish their work 
so that anyone on the, the rest of the world can see it. The other thing that, that we do, which is maybe a little bit more special, is we use Apropedia. And so Apropedia is the uh, it's kind of the appropriate technology hub of the internet. It's a large wiki-based website, thousands of users from all over the world. And every project that we do, we house there like on a splash page so that you can get access to you know the paper itself. But most journals, of course, are not as um, complete as HardwareX. And so if, you know, if we weren't allowed to post our software in the journal, the software is posted there, links to CAD files, uh, electronic diagrams, wiring diagrams, like anything that you need to actually replicate our projects. I try very hard, and it's actually more challenging than you'd assume, to make a hardware project that other people can copy. And it's because, depending on where you are in the world, getting access to certain materials or certain components isn't easy. And that goes even for places that you wouldn't expect. So, for example, in France at their universities, they have to purchase French-made things first. And so whereas I might jump onto Amazon and just get it and it'll be at my doorstep in two days, it right. could take six months for a researcher in France to get the same component if it wasn't available um, within their own country. And then many countries have tariffs and um, it makes it yes. very difficult <laughs> to yes. get components. And so that's why the more we could push it to digital manufacturing, where people can manufacture the components themselves, I think the closer we'll get to having a, you know, a completely okay. replicable, shared uh, scientific infrastructure. So, what is your advice for someone starting out on an open source hardware project? To start, I would say do a very thorough lit literature review, both in the scientific literature, to make sure that no one has tackled this yet already, and in the popular. Like, do flat out Google searching for it. Um, many things that you could, that you might want may have already been developed for somebody else, uh, in another context. Um, then I would, the, the second bit of advice I would be of is to leverage the open source community. There are hundreds of people throughout the world that I've never met that have helped my group make some spectacular tools or to improve our tools. And part of what we do is we share what we're going to do before we do it. That both lights a fire under our butts to make sure that we can move quickly, but it also allows anybody else that in that space that might be interested in collaborating to contact us, and then we can work together on it. And so the power, the real power of open source is that you get friends to help you. Like that's what you should be aiming at. You want right. people to copy your projects. You want people to, to jump in and, and start to help you. And so that that's where I would start is try to get find the closest thing that's been done and then see if you can contact those developers and see if they'd be willing to work with you. Um, as a general rule, almost all of us are willing to give you at least some help. Um, yes. We're not going to do everything for you, but we'll, we'll at least help you a little bit. And then for, for things like funding, most of my funding comes through traditional sources. Like I uh, re was recently funded, for example, in the, the Department of Defense program uh, on a project where every component of the project I'm going to release is open source. They are only interested in the end, in the end thing. As long as I, I can turn waste plastic into a food source, they're happy. How I do it is completely up to me. And so right. I am using the open source community in order to be able to, to push each step, each component in that system to be as good as it possibly can be. And again, every, everybody wins. So everyone can still commercialize open source things. It doesn't prevent anyone from commercializing it. I can do it. My students can do it. Anyone in the, anyone in the world uh, can do it. It only makes it so that I get the best possible product uh, that, that we're aiming at. So that brings me to the next question about open licensing. So when you're working on a project and it is funded by a federal agency, uh, what is the uh, nature of collaboration and the licensing at the same time? 
Yeah, so I have, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple funding contracts where I specifically called for everything to be open source, but that's abnormal. Um, usually there's some sort of IP agreement on like as you start into the project. And as long as you make it very clear that you're going to be operating in the open source regime, I haven't had anybody ever have a problem with that. Like in an essence, you're saying you're giving everything to the world. Why would, you know, say the National Science Foundation be against that? I, I think more and more so the federal funding agencies, both in the U.S. and through the rest of the world, are starting to see kind of the power of open source and, and being up for it. Uh, but when right. you choose a license, it's a little tricky. So with with software, it's fairly well defined. You can use like a, you know, a, a new FDL. You can use Creative Commons type licenses. With hardware, you have to be a little bit more careful. And CERN is probably our, our best good solid example of a open hardware license meant specifically for it. There's many others out there. And if you go to the HardwareX webpage, we have a list of, of many that we would recommend. Okay, great. Uh, why should someone share their work freely? That is an excellent question. And I have to say, when I started on this open hardware path, it was a little bit scary. No one, there were very few scientists that were doing it, but I found it incredibly beneficial for my career. So I've held multiple endowed chairs. I'm reasonably respected in my subfields. And it's because I'm a very aggressive sharer. We, we have a huge amount of output. At my last university, I was the highest, most productive researcher on campus, not because I'm particularly good or smart or anything like that. It's because I'm leveraging hundreds of people all from all over the world that are contributing right. to my projects in some way. And so we do a lot of collaborating that way. And the best way to get someone to work with you is to give them something that interests them enough to start helping. And so that is why you share. You share to get help from other right. people to do better science in the end. From a, a completely pragmatic standpoint, you get more people collaborating with you, you get more papers, you get more citations, that leads to more grants, it's easier to recruit students. My students that work on my open source projects know that they can share their work with everybody. Uh, their future employers can look at their work, they can go to GitLab and see right. what the student has done so that it's very easy to be like, oh, this student is actually quite good, I'll hire them. And so, although it was scary in the beginning, I gotta say at this point, it's the way to go. Um, okay. there's other things, there's like side benefits. So for example, I never have to deal with lawyers because I don't have to worry about IP. And that also makes it very easy for corporations to work with me because they know I'm an open source guy. If they want to share something with me that is proprietary, we have to sign an NDA and go through lawyers and all that. But it's much easier to say, you know, we have a product that we would help. We think that you can help us sell more of in some way by perhaps developing a new hardware that uses it or developing code for it. And we want it to be open source because we want it in as many people's hands as possible. And so those companies are the ones that I work with that I'm, I'm interested in working with. And we go right through the system. Like it's like, you know, greased skillet. We just slide right through. We don't have to deal with any of the headaches that, that hold other research projects up for months or sometimes years. Okay, great. Now we can move on to topics related to the journal and Hardware X. So uh, I was uh, eager to ask you that if I'm an inventor of a scientific infrastructure, how can I approach Hardware X to discuss my invention? And can I talk to anyone there? Sure. The, probably the easiest way is to contact myself or Todd through the, the online form right on the Hardware X page. Um, the basic requirement to get published in Hardware X, you have to be doing open hardware, which means you have to license it with an open source license. If you do that and it's scientific equipment, then it almost certainly fits within the scope of the journal. If it's just open hardware to say, like make a game or something like that, that doesn't that's not what we're interested in. Um, or if it's something that's proprietary, like you patented it, that's also not yes. what we're interested in. So we okay. want things that are scientific, 
tools that will help scientists that are licensed open source so other people can work on them and build on them. So I have heard from forums that the journal has a very easy submission process, a very nice template uh, that is laid out, and it has a one-to-one engagement with Todd and you. Is that true? Yeah. So I would say probably the, the biggest benefit of our journal is if you download the template and fill it in, it, it forces you to be thorough and to really do open hardware. Um, conventional journals have published open hardware here and there. And usually what ends up happening is that you put all the nitty gritty details in an appendix or it's held offline somewhere off site. Um, with HardwareX, we have a time date stamp version of your hardware project that we've passed through peer review and guarantee that it works as said because it has to have some sort of validation. Um, you can then continue to build off of it later, but that the HardwareX version is kind of like the one that's, you know, past the validation step. Um, I'm not aware of any other journal that forces you to have all of the code inside the article itself. So even if the, you know, the source code for your program might be hundreds of pages long, that is held in a time date stamp repository, like a registry that's associated with your journal article. And the inside the template itself, it has very detailed instructions on how to do that. What are some of the exciting things that you think are happening at the journal? Um, so we're starting to partner with a lot of other journals. And so my, okay. my grand dream of, of everything is that in the future, when you're a scientist and you read the coolest new research in your field in your favorite journal, directly in the method section of that journal is a link to a HardwareX tool that you can download, replicate, and immediately start doing whatever cool research you're into. That is where we're headed, and I'm extremely excited to be a part of that. So how do you see open source hardware compared to open source software? You know, with all the app stores and, and app developers out there, open source software is way ahead compared to open source hardware. Is that true or it's... No, you're absolutely right. I, I did a another uh, like little mini study as part of a different study where I looked at the number of times open source software was showed up in Google Scholar and the number of times open source hardware showed up in Google Scholar. And open hardware is roughly... Uh, 15 years behind. You think about how dominant open source software is now, um, you know, basically runs the entire internet. We're coming and we're coming fast. We're growing exponentially, right. but we're still, we're still babies, right? Like right. Compared to open yeah. software where everybody does it that way in open hardware, you know, it's, it's still a, a relatively small vanguard compared to everyone, but it is growing. It is rapid. All the conferences that are associated with it, like the gathering of open source hardware enthusiasts, gosh, it grows every year. It gets bigger. More and more people are doing it. It's now, I would think, not uncommon to find some open hardware that would fit your research thing. We don't have everything yet, but we have hundreds of things. Um, whereas in the, in the olden days, there were just a couple. There was a few dozen examples I could point to. But now there are becoming more and more refined, more and more um, sophisticated versions of scientific hardware that are completely free and enable you to do you know, incredible science. So on a related question, is the field evolving towards open source intelligence systems that combine hardware, software, methods, and data science? Absolutely. Uh, and I, just to give an ex a final example from my own group, we're, you know, one of the problems with 3D printers is they don't have a 100% replication ratio. Like you have errors associated with them and they can be frustrating, especially for, you know, scientists that don't do 3D printing full time. If you just want to make something for your bio lab, you really need it to work. And so we're, we're doing computer vision and AI systems to watch 3D prints in real time so that it can go back and fix the error as it's happening without any human intervention. 
And I think that type of smart system is going to become ubiquitous and across all everything that has a microcontroller on it now will we'll have that capability in the future. Is your is your website Appropedia? Is that linked to Hardware X? Uh, yes. So yeah, there's okay. there's links going both ways. Appropedia.org. And I, I want to make it clear that's not my website. Thousands. Right. Of okay. I'm, Sorry. I'm just a user like everybody else. Um, but yes, certainly Hardware X is is one of the favored open hardware journals um, in the entire community. Um, okay. Partly, I think because of the um, completeness of it. One last question would be regarding the involvement of users or uh, potential authors. Do you see more involvement from students and millennials compared to the older folks? I, I don't know if we have any data like that. I know that of our um, our editorial board, it's made up of primor primarily of non-white-haired scientists. So it's the younger set, I think, is a little bit more... Um, you know, aware of open source development methodologies. Uh, but all of the articles that I'm aware of have a senior PI that's a, you know, professor. Right. right. So it's, this right. is not a student journal in any way, although we encourage students to work with their advisors to, to submit articles. Yeah. What I meant was uh, open source hardware projects, are they more appealing to students? Yeah. Well, I can't say for certain that I know that many of our, our projects are replicated at, in colleges and high schools because everything is there for the, the students to be able to do right. it. If you have access to microcontrollers and a 3D printer, you can make, I don't know, 75% of what we have have uh, listed in HardwareX. And as the other technologies mature, that will be the same for them as well. Thank you so much for your time. We'll see you again. Thank you very much.